From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade is in the house. We're talking faith, family, and fellowship. If you've got a question, we'd love to hear from you. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, or you can send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson, magnificent person, handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is, Holy Week or no Holy Week, Father Wade Menezes, how are you? I'm doing great, Jack, and you took the words out of my mouth. Happy Holy Week to everybody. <laughs> so it's a, it's a great week. We're gearing up here at the Fathers of Mercy for the beautiful sacred Triduum, uh, beginning with the evening Mass of the Lord's Supper on Thursday evening. So uh, a lot going on this week and getting uh, prepared for the sacred Triduum. But yes, a, a blessed Holy Week to all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners. And you wanted to talk at the beginning of the program today about um, a bit of a misnomer. The seven last words of Christ, which really would be more aptly named, the seven last things Christ said. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. A, a very, very dear devotion to uh, Venerable Fulton Sheen. He, he loved the seven last words of Christ, the seven last phrases of Christ, the seven last things Christ said, all from the cross, huh? And that's our springboard for today, to kind of uh, get us prepared for, especially for Good Friday, but but also the sacred triduum as a whole. The so-called seven last words of Christ, Jack, refers to the last words, or more literally the seven last sentences or phrases, as, as you implied just now, of Jesus Christ spoken from the cross on Good Friday. These are recorded in the four Gospels of St. Matthew, St. Mark, St. Luke, and St. John. And in sequence, they are the following. Number one, again, all words of Jesus, right? Number one, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Number two, Amen, amen, I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. Words spoken to the penitent thief. Number three, woman, behold your son. Words of our Lord spoken to his blessed mother, the Virgin Mary. And in the same phrase, behold your mother, Christ's bequest to the Apostle John, who was also standing at the foot of the cross. Number four is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then parched with thirst, Christ calls out, the fifth so-called last word of Christ, he simply says, I thirst. And number six, it is finished. And then when every prophecy has been fulfilled, Jack, Jesus says these important words, which comprise number seven, Father, into your hands 
I commend my spirit. These seven last words of Christ, as they're famously known as, uh, have been the subject matter of much, much spiritual writing and insight over the centuries, especially by the church fathers and the saints. Uh, These seven passages from sacred scripture collectively or individually uh, provide wonderful uh, meditation material on Good Friday especially, and also the Fridays during Lent, and especially on Fridays throughout the year even. We can't forget that, right? Every Friday is a day of penitence and penitential observance, precisely because our Lord died for us on Good Friday. Uh, Just to comb through these now with their scriptural citations, number one, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, Luke 23, 34. Number two, today you will be with me in paradise, words spoken to the good thief again, Luke 23, 43. Woman, behold, your son, and behold your mother, word spoken to John and the Blessed Virgin. John 19, verses 26 and 27. Number four is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me, or why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46, and Mark 15, 34. Number five is, I thirst, John 19, 28, and it is finished. We also see translation saying, it is accomplished, or it is consummated. Uh, John 19.30. And number seven, Jack, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Uh, Luke 23.46. You know, all of this, Jack, reminds me of, of a poem that you can find easily enough at the Fathers of Mercy website. I have it there in my blog section. It's, it's anonymously written. Uh, it's easy to find uh, on the internet in general, but we can find it particularly at the fathers at fathersofmercy.com. It's simply titled "Look at the Crucifix," huh? And this has always proven very popular when I've read it on the air, either on EWTN Television during a mass or here on Open Line Tuesday. So I want to share it again during this Holy Week of 2023. Look at the Crucifix. The, the seven last words of Christ hearken us to this beautiful poem. Listen to this: If you want to know God, look at the Crucifix. If you want to love God, look at the crucifix. If you want to know the infinite, eternal love of God, look at the crucifix. If you wish to have a part in giving that same love to others, look at the crucifix. If you want to know who you are and what your worth is, look at the crucifix. If you want to know how you were saved from the jaws of hell, look at the crucifix. If you want to know how much God wants to save your immortal soul, look at the crucifix. If you want to know who will lead you to heaven, look at the crucifix. If you want to live well, look at the crucifix. And if you want to die well, look at the crucifix. Beautiful poem titled, Look at the Crucifix. You can find it at fathersofmercy.com. At the homepage, click on the magnifying glass icon in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage. A search bar comes up in the middle of the homepage, and simply type on that search bar, look at the crucifix, and it's ready to print off on your home printer. You know, I said, Jack, earlier uh, that the seven last words of Christ was a special devotion of Archbishop Fulton Sheen, Venerable Fulton Sheen. He also said this. I I love this quote. He says, quote, only God could take a week filled with intrigue, jealousy, betrayal, and murder, and transform it into the holiest week of the year. Mm -hmm. Quote, end quote. Only God could take a week filled with intrigue, jealousy, betrayal, and murder and transform it into the holiest 
week of the year. And in regards to the crucifix, you know, there's a beautiful quote by St. Catherine of Siena. She says, the crucifix is an open book that all can read. The crucifix is an infinite declaration of love, specifically God's love for all of humanity. So our prayer could be, uh, Jack, in, in the middle of this Holy Week as we approach the sacred triduum, my Lord Jesus Christ, inspire me to read the crucifix often, even outside of Lent. Grant that I may return thanks and love to you for your great love of me. I want to invite our callers today, Jack, to um, call in and, and give us a witness of any traditions you might have as an individual or as a family uh, during Holy Week uh, as a whole, or maybe just during the sacred triduum itself, Holy Thursday evening through the Vigil Mass of Easter, the mother of all vigils, Holy Saturday evening. Maybe it's just some traditions your family holds, including the Easter dinner. Is, do you have a big family dinner? Is it just your individual family? Do you invite extended family members and friends over? Um, also, does your workplace do anything in celebration of Easter? Maybe that's part of the tradition, especially if it's a family-owned business by a Catholic or Christian family, Catholic-Christian family. Uh, call and give a witness. I'm, I'm curious what some of the Holy Week traditions are. Uh, remember, John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what we're celebrating, this sacred triduum. From the night of the arrest, Holy Thursday night, uh, through the celebration of the mother of all vigils, the Easter vigil. And John 3, 16, of course, very popular passage from Scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but would have eternal life. And you know, Jack, I love the life of St. Anthony Mary Claret, the great Archbishop of Cuba. He was also an itinerant missionary preacher, founder of the Claretian Order. He says this, he said, the son's of the Immaculate Heart of Mary Order. He's, he's a great 19th century missionary preacher, and again, the Archbishop of Cuba, uh, once while pointing to a very, very large crucifix suspended high above the main altar in the Santiago Cathedral in Cuba, he told a group of faithful gathered there on Good Friday, quote, Behold your Savior, this king of yours, whose crib was a manger and deathbed a cross. Behold your Savior, this king of yours, whose crib was a manger and deathbed across. Just some great, great quotes from Scripture, some great, great quotes from Sacred Scripture and the saints uh, to remind us what this week is all about, especially the Sacred Triduum. Call us up here on Open Line Tuesday today or type in on Facebook or YouTube our live feeds there on what your Linton and Holy Week traditions are. 833-288-EWTN. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Our Holy Week retreat continues with Father Matt Anscombe, of the, a parish priest of the Clifton Diocese in England. That's tonight at 10 Eastern Time right here on EWTN Radio. For EWTN Radio's complete coverage of the week that changed the world, visit EWTNRadio.net and click on Schedule. 
833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of lines open for you at 833-288-3986. First up today is Michael in Spokane, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Michael, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you both during this Holy Week. Um, you know, Father, I like to, I, I watch the Stations of the Cross from Rome on EWTN. Thank God with Pope Francis. So I try and watch. I try and watch that every uh, on Good Friday. Um, my question is about confession. Um, you know, Father, I tend to repeat the same sins and, and confess the same sins, and I try to keep positive about confession. I thank God for the Catholic Church and the sacrament of confession. My question is, what priests are known for miracles um, about confession? Oh, I can name three right off the bat. Uh, Padre Pio, who's really one of our own contemporaries, huh? He died only in 1968. Uh, the great uh, stigmatist and also the great uh, Capuchin friar priest, uh, St. Padre Pio. Also, the founder of the Redemptorist Order, uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori, is actually one of the primary patron saints of confessors in the history of the Church. It's very, very easy to find him listed as such, as a patron saint of, of confessees and confessors, whether the penitent or the priest hearing the confession. Also, uh, I want to bring to your attention, Michael, the, 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 the priests themselves who often preached on morality and justice as as virtues. Uh, morality is a virtue, living, you know, prudently, modestly, temperately, etc., and also um, who had a great love for the sacraments of the Eucharist and confession itself, and preached. They were preachers, whether they were diocesan priests, whether they were religious order priests. One that comes to mind is St. Vincent Ferrer. While he's known especially for his preaching, because of his preaching topics, he was also known as a great, great, uh, is known as a great, great patron saint of confessors as well. So your, your patron saints of, of confession, of confessees, meaning the penitent, and of confessors, meaning priests who hear confessions, will more often than not be priests, saints themselves, again, whether diocesan or religious order. But there's three right there. Great question, especially during Holy Week. Thank you so much for calling in to ask that question. Uh, again, uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori, the founder of the Redemptorist Order, St. Padre Pio, the great Capuchin friar, and uh, St. Vincent Ferrer, uh, the, the great uh, Dominican preacher-priest. And there's a beautiful, beautiful church under his patronage in uh, Manhattan, downtown New York City. If you ever get a chance to get there, go visit St. Vincent uh, Ferrer Parish Church. Thank you so much, Michael, for a great question. And don't get discouraged about confessing the same sins. Remember, what's the goal of a frequent confession? The goal of a frequent confession is really two things. Uh, God willing, we will only be confessing venial sins, venial faults. It's precisely the practice of a frequent confession that's per se keeping us away from, from mortal sin, right? And number two, a great benefit of a frequent confession, and by that I mean once a month or better, your confessions will be short. You'll be in and out like within three minutes. How beautiful is that? And when you go monthly like that, your examination of conscience should be no longer than three to five minutes before you step into the confessional. So I'm a huge advocate of monthly confession. I think our regular listeners know that about me, especially around First Friday in honor of the Sacred Heart each month or First Saturday in honor of the Immaculate Heart each month. Uh, and again, the two primary goals of a frequent confession is that we only have venial sins to confess, venial faults, daily weaknesses, 
and uh, no mortal sin. And, and secondly, uh, quick confessions. You know, that, that's the goal. You know, it's interesting. The, the top five reasons why people stay away from confession, and I talk about this in my book, Overcoming the Evil Within, the Reality of Sin and the Transforming Power of God's Grace and Mercy, is fear. You know, though the vast majority of priests are kind and understanding confessors, uh, many potential penitents fear being judged or scolded, you know? Well, don't let that fear overwhelm you like that, you know? Number two is pride. Confessing sins means confronting that we've genuinely done wrong and need God's help to heal. Our personal pride rebels against this fact. Well, don't let the pride overrule you, right? Uh, number three, shame. Uh, though a well-ordered guilt should impel us to the sacrament of confession, shame can still keep us away because of the realization that we have to admit our sins to another person. Uh, even though he's acting there in persona Christi, the priest is in, in the person of Christ, in, in persona Christi capitis, in the person of Christ the head. And speaking our sins out loud feels uncomfortable and unbearable, especially the mortal sins, huh? Don't let the shame overwhelm you. Remember, confession is not about greater graphic detail. It's about kind and approximate number. Make it short and to the point, right? Your examination of conscience prior to entering the confessional will help you do this. Uh, number four is ignorance. Uh, this is twofold. Uh, first, we can be ignorant of the reality of sin in our lives uh, and its devastating consequences if it goes unchecked. In other words, we don't see sin for what it is in our lives. So this ignorance keeps us away from confession. And second, the second fold of ignorance is that we can be ignorant of the necessity of sacramental confession for the forgiveness of specifically mortal sins. Uh, confession, the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, the sacrament of confession, remains the ordinary channel in which mortal sins are forgiven. And then, I hate to say number five, but it's true, unavailability of the priest, confessor. Too often there aren't simply enough times offered for confession at local parishes, and there is no option for anonymity, which people very often want anonymity during their confession, uh, which is the right of every penitent according to the Church's discipline of this sacrament. Uh, so again, the, the five top reasons why people may hesitate to approach the sacrament of confession is fear, pride, shame, ignorance and unavailability uh, of the of the priest confessor now now michael these aren't your issues you you greatly go often you're just a little discouraged because you said uh, on air that you find yourself confessing the same things over and over well don't get discouraged by that uh you know work on those things you know month to month make a little journal of how you're you're advancing stop and make a, a midday examination of conscience the the midday one is where we're striving for a particular virtue to advance or a particular vice to uproot and then at the end of the day make a general examination of conscience where you look at your whole day generally right all all virtues and all vices and you close that with an act of contrition as well um, so so this midday examination of conscience and this end of the day general examination of conscience uh, should not be more than like a, 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 a two-minute, two-and-a-half-minute uh, spiritual exercise that we do at midday for the particular and, and uh, end of the day for the general. But it's that particular one where you want to look at a particular virtue you're trying to advance or a particular vice you're trying to uproot. And I talk about all this in my book uh, from 2020, uh, Overcoming the Evil Within, the Reality of Sin and the Transforming Power of, God, of God's Grace and Mercy that can be received at at uh, EW10RC.com. It's a quick read. In fact, chapter 3 of that text is simply on the Sacrament of Reconciliation, how to make a good, solid, holy, reverent confession, meaning with neither too much rigidity 
nor with too much laxity, but a good, solid, holy monthly confession. And, and with the culture gearing itself in the direction that it is today, I don't know how one expects to advance in holiness and sanctity according to their state in life and vocation, whether they're single or married or a consecrated priest, brother or sister, unless they go at least monthly. I think if we go beyond monthly, at the most, at the most we'll stay stagnant in the spiritual life. We'll stay right where we are in our uh, scale of holiness or sanctity. We'll, we'll remain stagnant. We won't advance uh, with the way the culture is today. So, but, but with monthly confession, every four to five weeks, uh, again, especially in honor of the first Friday or first Saturday, which we can dedicate our monthly confessions to the two hearts of Jesus and Mary, um, I see then that we can advance in the spiritual life, because the culture is just too challenging today. Uh, so, Michael, great, great question, but, but yeah, that you wanna, you're asking about confessor saints uh, that you can pray to to help make a, a, a better confession, and uh, Alfonso Sigori, St. Padre Pio, and St. Vincent Ferrer are three fantastic ones. Thank you so much, Michael, for your call today from Spokane, Washington, a place where I've preached often this last year, three times at least, and uh, blessed Holy Week to you. Next up is Anthony in London, Ontario, Canada, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Anthony, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Anthony. Thank you for your call from uh, London, Ontario today. Correct. Now, we just finished a beautiful Bible study, No Greater Love, which is offered through Ascension Press and features Dr. Edward Shree. And, of course, we covered all of the last seven statements. Prior to taking the study, I was a bit confused as to what the last seven words of Jesus were, and I kept saying, into your hands I commend my spirit. That's got to be them. But anyhow, through the Bible study, I learned differently. The question I had is this, Father. Um, when the, um, the um, people who were wanted to um, capture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane approached him, uh, Jesus said to them, whom do you seek? And uh, they responded, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he, at which time they fell to the ground, which was reminiscent of when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush. Exactly. I wondered if you could explain exactly, maybe there's a theological explanation, uh, I am. Sure. Those two sure. words. What exactly do they mean, Father? God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush as I am, capital I, capital A, and M together, I am. Uh, and that is God revealing that he's all essence, all being, all existence. God is that in which nothing else greater can be thought. And for Jesus to repeat that phrase in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of the arrest, which we're about to celebrate this coming Holy Thursday evening with the, the Mass of the Lord's Supper, uh, leading us into Good Friday. When Jesus says those words to those who come out to apprehend him, he's telling them, I am God. Specifically, I am the second person of the triune Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I am he, the second person, the divine logos, the word, capital capital D-L, divine logos, capital uh, uh, W, word, in made incarnate in the God-man Jesus Christ. I am, I am God. Um, you know, there's three divine persons in one God, and one God in three divine persons. Uh, the, the Father is one in being with the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Son is one in being with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is one in being with 
the Father and the Son, and yet the, the, the Father is not the Son or the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit yet is not uh, the Father or the Son. You know, uh, I, I think of the old um, diagram in the Baltimore Catechism of, of the, uh, the beautiful circle that has the word God written in the middle of that circle, and then three branches going out from the circle, one to the Father, one to the Son, and one to the Holy Spirit. And then there's an outer circle connecting those three with the word is not, right? So the, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father, etc. And yet, in the, they're all pointing to the one God. Three divine persons in one God, one God and three divine persons. It's Jesus telling the apprehenders who arrested him, I am God. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Lee in New Orleans, and we've got plenty of time for your calls. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. A couple of open lines and plenty of time for your calls. Our great EWTN radio partner, Siouxland Catholic Radio in Sioux City, Iowa, is airing their spring Spring, how am I doing? Spring Pledge Drive next week. And whether you're listening in Sioux City, Storm Lake, or anywhere, please support your local Catholic radio station. Next up is Lee. She is in NOLA, New Orleans, Louisiana, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Lee, you are on with Father Wade Menezes. Good afternoon, Father Wade. How are you? Good, Lee. Thank you so much for your call today. Oh, thank you for um, letting me speak about the Nine Churches Walk that goes on in New Orleans every Good Friday. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know a lot about New Orleans. Have you ever been here? I have, I have. Now, when, when you do you mean Good Friday or Holy Thursday night when the Blessed Sacrament no. is exposed? No, Good Friday, actually. Um, okay. It's a tradition that dates back, I don't even know how many years. I know my grandmother used to do it. Um, okay. I don't know when it began, but as you know, New Orleans is very Catholic. Mm-hmm. We have We are blessed with beautiful churches, and especially in the uptown, downtown area of the sure. city, the churches are walkable. Um, we will start. We will. We will go this year with the Jesuit High School community, um, and they are going to begin this year at Loyola's uh, campus. Has a beautiful church, Holy Name of Jesus, and we'll start oh, there. And we will end. Yes, we'll end uh, downtown at Immaculate Conception, and along the way, we will visit some of the most beautiful churches in the country. And um, they will say Stations of the Cross. A lot of the high school boys lead um, and participate. Some will carry the cross and walk barefoot. But um, you don't have to do it with a community. There'll probably be several hundred in this one group alone. And there's thousands of people on the streets walking these churches and praying on Good Friday. But it'll start, the Jesuits will start, um, they'll gather about 8.15 and will end about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Wow, beautiful, beautiful. And most parishes will have their uh, uh, passion service 
the celebration of the Lord's Passion at 3 o'clock, so it makes sense that, that the nine church walk would wrap up around 2. Well, that's beautiful. I was going to ask you what's prayed during the nine church walk, and you answered my question in your description of it all, that the stations of the cross are prayed. I presume different stations at different churches, and by the time you get to the ninth church, you've approached the 14th station of the cross. Is that correct? That's correct. And, beautiful. Um, they have, well, sometimes they will hand out actual um, stations themselves on paper, but you can also follow on your phone, and they sure. will do a virtual walk for the people who are unable to attend. But it is children in strollers, old people in wheelchairs. I mean, there are some people who bring along um, people costumed and actually play out the Passion of Our Lord on the streets of New Orleans. Um, this year is the second year we'll be bringing some Protestant friends with us, who are very okay. interested in it, and um, it is, it's absolutely beautiful when you're in the town. Everybody's asking, all the tourists and stuff are asking, why are all these people on the street? And so we get to evangelize along the way. Well, beautiful, beautiful. You know, when I first saw uh, your your call description, I was thinking of the the five to seven church visitations done on Holy Thursday night. If you'll recall, after the celebration of, of the Lord's Supper, um, the Blessed Sacrament is removed from the tabernacle, the altars are stripped, etc., and then there's an altar of repose for the Blessed Sacrament, not exposed in a monstrance, but, but in the ciborium. In, in the makeshift tabernacle called a repository uh, on the uh, altar of repose, a makeshift altar of repose that is beautifully, beautifully decorated in another part of the parish outside of the church itself. It, it could sometimes be in a side altar, but, but the, the mind of the church is to move it outside of the body of the church itself. And then what the faithful do, Lee, you, you probably are aware of this, uh, what the faithful do is they go visit five to seven churches throughout that night to go pray in the bl- presence of the Blessed Sacrament at these altars of repose where the consecrated hosts are kept uh, because they cannot be kept in the church because of the night of the arrest. We strip the churches of their altars, their linens, uh, the statues are covered, etc., and the Blessed Sacrament is removed to the altar repose. So I, that's what I thought you were going to describe first, uh, and that's a very strong tradition here in the United States that comes from Europe. And what you're describing, I'll bet you eventually, if it's traced back, comes from the French who, who settled in Louisiana and New Orleans. So uh, what a, what a, these beautiful, beautiful traditions, whether the Holy Thursday night visitations of the churches to go visit the Blessed Sacrament, sacrament, or the nine church walk to pray the Stations of the Cross. These are just different devotions during the sacred triduum that just make it awesome to be Catholic. So, Lee, thank you so much for for sharing that with us. We really appreciate your call today uh, from New Orleans. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-EWTN. 3986. Next up is Diego in Peoria, Illinois, listening on Covenant Radio. Diego, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Hey, good afternoon, Father. Hello, Diego. Thank you for your call today. You asked about our uh, practices over the three days, and so Friday, of course, is the uh, Station of the Cross in the uh, afternoon service, and we also, as a family, over our uh, meager Good Friday supper, always uh, recite the uh, reflection from uh, St. John Chrysostom oh, in yes. the um, Office of Readings. It's just a beautiful reading about the birth of the Church through the blood and water that flowed from the side of Christ. 
Yes, that's right. That's right. The good, it's a famous reflection, in fact, the power of Christ's blood and the founding of his bride, the church. And that does appear in the Office of Readings as one of the readings available uh, to the reader on Good Friday. Uh, yes, uh, you know, if, if we wish to understand the power of Christ's blood, he says, we should go back to the uh, ancient account of the prefiguration in, in Egypt, the sacrifice of a lamb without blemish, uh, commanded Moses, right? And, and the sprinkling of its blood on, on the doorposts of, of the faithful. Uh, and if we were to ask him what he meant and how the blood of an irrational beast could possibly save men endowed with reason, uh, John Chrysostom posits that question to the reader, his answer would be that the saving power lies not in the blood itself, but in the fact that it is a sign of the Lord's blood, the Savior's blood, who assumed a human nature just like ours in every way but sin. Uh, so yes, it's easy enough to find, you know, um, the Good Friday reflection by St. John Chrysostom, or Chrysostom, pronounced both ways, um, and it appears in the Office of Readings on Good Friday morning. So yes, thank you for bringing that to my attention to be able to share with our, our listeners to look that up online. You can go to divineoffice.org, divineoffice.org, and just click on Good Friday Office of Readings, Good Friday Office of Readings, and you will find it there. Thank you so much, Diego, for that. Really appreciate it. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still plenty of time for your phone calls at 833-288-3986. RJ is in Dallas, Texas, listening on the EWTN app. RJ, welcome to the program. You're on with Father Wade. Uh, hello, Father Wade. How are you? Doing great, RJ. Thank you. Hey, look, uh, I've got a particular situation here leading up to the Easter Vigil. Uh, well, I'm sure normal RCI classes, they'll have their practices prior to the uh, their vigil itself. Right. Now, uh, in our situation here, the uh, actual baptismal rite, actual baptism plans on being done during the practice with the remainder of the rite done at the vigil itself. Uh, if you understand what I'm saying, is this listed? It is licit because you can—first, let me back up. The Easter Vigil is to welcome into full communion those who are not in communion with the Church at all, or those who have some of the sacraments of initiation, but not all of them. The three sacraments of initiation are baptism, confirmation, and Holy Eucharist. So you could have somebody coming into the Catholic Church who doesn't have either of those three sacraments of initiation, and they are being, quote-unquote, fully initiated into the Church. They're receiving their baptism, they're receiving their confirmation, and they're receiving their first Eucharist, all at the Easter Vigil. Then you can have those who are already baptized, either in the Catholic Church or in another Christian Church, a Protestant faith, with a valid Trinitarian formula, so they're already baptized, and all they need to receive at the Easter Vigil is confirmation and Eucharist. Or maybe you have the Catholic who's baptized as an infant, he's, he or she is, already has their First Holy Communion from around age seven, but then they were lapsed from the Catholic faith for years and years, and they just never got confirmed. So all they're going to receive, this third example that I'm giving you, describing this person, this third example, all they're going to receive at the Easter Vigil is simply confirmation. So it is possible, depending on the makeup of the catechumenate course, who needs what? You have, let's say you have eight people, and 
you got to look to see which one, which of the three sacraments of initiations do these eight need. If only one of them needs baptism, but they all need confirmation and, and Eucharist, then the priest does have the option, the, the pastor has the option to baptize ahead of the Easter Vigil so that at the Easter Vigil proper, all that's administered then is simply the sacraments of confirmation and Eucharist. That is possible. In fact, when you read the ritual in the Missalette that's in the pews, whether it's a hard, hardbound Missal or whether it's um, like the Vatican II hymnal uh, that, that has the parts of the Mass in it, or whether it's a paper Missalette that the parish subscribes to, um, when you look at the Easter Vigil ritual in the Missalette, now I'm talking about what the, what the people in the pews hold, you'll see in the rubrics, meaning in, in the red wording, the red writing of, of the descriptions of the Mass that evening at the Easter Vigil, it'll have uh, qualifications like, if there are none to be baptized, proceed to page 112 because there's nobody being baptized. There's nobody in this catechumenic class that, that's going to be baptized, but they are going to receive confirmation and, and First Eucharist. So I think that's what you're referring to, and the pastor has the right of the parish to make that call, to make the Easter Vigil flow accordingly, according to the needs of that particular class. Does that help you out? Well, uh, in this particular case, all are catechumens and all need baptism for their initiation. And so uh, I get the impression he just intends on saving time. And they look, uh, we're just going to do this and uh, have your sponsor here present, and present, or at least have a proxy here or something, so they can perform the valid baptism, but it's apart from the, uh, the vigil itself, I mean, the actual pouring of the water. No, he... No, I, I, I don't think a, a pastor would baptize ahead of the vigil and then go through all the ritual again at the vigil proper. It, it would make absolutely no sense. You cannot be rebaptized. And if he's going to go through the ritual at the, at the Easter vigil, uh, it would make no sense to do it prior. He could practice with the, with the catechumenate class prior to the Easter vigil and go through the practice with them, but he wouldn't baptize them at that practice. I, I, if I were you, uh, R.J., with all due respect, I think you, you would want to uh, uh, privately and charitably approach your pastor and say, Father, just for my own benefit, wh what exactly is going on so that I can learn more about my faith? Is it that they're being baptized ahead of time so that they only have to receive confirmation in Eucharist at the Easter Vigil proper? What exactly is going on, and, and is, it, is it to save time because the class is so big? Uh, and again, that would be the pastor's choice. That would be the pastor's choice. However, it wouldn't, in my opinion, it would not be the fullness of the expression of the Easter Vigil, known as the mother of all vigils, precisely because all three sacramental, all three sacraments are... are are administered during the Easter Vigil. But then again, if your class is super, super large, then you got to make concessions. You, there, there have to be concessions, otherwise your Easter Vigil would go into the fourth hour, you know? Um, so, you know, it's a case-by-case -case basis, but here's the thing. We know what the mind of the Church is. The mind of the Church is to receive all three sacraments of initiation at the Easter Vigil. That said, uh, uh, there can be adjustments made with the approval of the pastor to administer some of those sacraments ahead of time. So, for example, if, if there's only one being confirmed, he could be confirmed uh, at a different time, provided he was already baptized from a prior, say, Protestant baptism, and then he would receive only the Eucharist 
at the Easter Vigil if he, would go, if he was going to be the only confirmandi, the only one receiving confirmation at the Easter Vigil. So there's all kinds of scenarios, is, in my, is my point here. There's all kinds of scenarios. But I don't believe a pastor would do the baptisms validly before the Easter Vigil and then take the time element involved to go through the, the, the baptism again at the Easter Vigil because there's no such thing as a second baptism. And if you already baptized them once you wouldn't go through the ritual again. So I would just privately and charitably approach your pastor and ask him exactly what's going on to benefit you, that you want to grow in your Catholic faith, and you want to understand what's going on, especially if you're planning to attend the Easter Vigil, so that you know exactly what's going on, and it's an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. Great, great question, RJ. Thank you so much. Father Raymond D'Souza presents the seven last words of Christ, which you talked about earlier in the program. That's Good Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. And once again, for EWTN Radio's complete coverage of the week that changed the world, visit EWTNRadio.net and click on Schedule. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Lucas, a first-time caller in Kansas City, Missouri, listening on the Catholic Radio Network. Lucas, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. So I'm calling about, like, all these people that are coming to Mass uh, now that it's Easter. And for things, something to be like a mortal sin, they have to know that it's mortally sinful, they have to intend on committing it, and they have to be, like, within their free will choosing to commit it. So are these people that are receiving Holy Communion not having or having received all year, are they committing a mortal sin coming this Easter and receiving? Yes, if they have the full knowledge and intent, they're, they're putting a mortal sin on top of a mortal sin. The way you just described it, they have that full intent. And yes, that would be an added mortal sin on top of a, of a mortal sin. So this is why it's so important to try to make a good, holy, reverent confession sometime during the Lenten season. Uh, this is why two of the five precept laws are, and I quote, I shall confess my sins at least once a year, and number two, I will receive Holy Communion at least once a year during the Easter season. Okay, the, the, the confession does not need to be during the, the Lenten season, does not need to be during the Lenten season or the Easter season. It just has to be done once a year. But the communion, the at least once a year communion, has to be done during the Easter season. These are two of the five precept laws of the Church. Why do we have the five precept laws? Because they, by their very nature, guarantee at least a bare minimum of practice of one's Catholic faith. And Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, being just that, a good and holy mother, wants to ensure that her sons and daughters practice the faith at least minimally, at the least minimally. And when one lives the five precept laws faithfully, they are at least minimally practicing their Catholic faith. In other words, they're carrying out the bare minimum. So here are the five precept laws. You shall attend Mass on Sundays and on Holy Days of Obligation and rest from unnecessary servile labor. Number two, you shall confess your sins at least once a year. Number three, you shall receive the sacrament of the Eucharist at least during the Easter season. Number four, you shall observe the days of fasting and abstinence established by the Church. And number five, you shall help to provide for the needs of the Church which is automatically included in that, uh, the needs for the, those in a, who need assistance, like orphans and widows, for example. The church oversees that. So, or you can give directly 
for example, to orphans and widows and to those in need. Um, I say orphans and widows because those are the two more popular categories in the more uh, traditional uh, uh, theological and liturgical textbooks. Um, but you shall provide for the needs of the church, and the church in her turn provides for the needs of, of widows and orphans. So those are the five precept laws. So the so-called creasters, uh, you know, the first time I heard that word, Jack, was like, I, just a year ago, I thought, what's a creaster? Who are these creasters that people are talking about? Well, they're the Catholics that go to Mass only at Christmas proper and Easter proper. They're called creasters. They don't give a hoot about fulfilling their Sunday obligation the rest of the year, but by gosh, come Christmas and Easter, they want to go to Mass. Well, that's a beautiful thing, but it's not beautiful enough. Every Sunday is a holy day of obligation, and that's what Lucas is asking about here. If one commits a mortal sin, which needs to have three elements present, it's done with fullness of knowledge, it's grave matter that's done with fullness of knowledge, and it's done with deliberate consent of one's will, and one does it anyway, they've committed a mortal sin. And then comes uh, Christmas time, that is Christmas time or Easter time, they go to Mass because they want to, and that's a good thing in and of itself, but they're not adequately prepared to receive the Eucharist, but they willfully go up to receive the Eucharist anyway, knowing that they have not yet been reconciled first with the Church and our Lord, the Bridegroom of the Church. That's a problem. That's a sacrilegious communion, and that's not a holy communion, especially if they're doing it with full intention and, and no better, as Lucas described it in the scenario that he began his phone call with. So uh, this is a great lead-in into the importance of the five precept laws. And by the way, in the mid-1980s, a questio was sent to the Congregation for Divine Worship uh, and, and of the Sacraments, uh, Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, asking this question about one of those five precept laws. Is the precept to confess at least once a year still obligatory, even if one is not knowledgeable of mortal sin? And the dicastery, the congregation at the Vatican, answered in the affirmative, yes, even if one is not consciously aware of mortal sin, one should still go to confession, at the very least, once a year. Why? Because it keeps us active in the sacraments. That's why. And the five precept laws help ensure a bare minimum. Lucas, does that help you out? Yeah, yeah. Um, the only thing, though, is like if they don't know that it's mortal sin, if they don't know that it's a grievous matter, is it still well, you, a mortal sin? You can't sin unless you will it, Lucas. Uh, the greater sin here is that they're not the student of the church that they should be. They're not the student of the, their Catholic faith of baptism that they should be. That's the greater sin. Uh, you can't sin unless you will to sin. Uh, grave matter done with fullness of knowledge and done with deliberate consent of your will. If any one of those three is missing, you have a venial sin. So it would still be at least venial that they're doing it. Let's say, remember, any of those three missing, you have a venial sin, right? So let's say uh, full consent of the will is missing. It's still grave matter. It's done with fullness of knowledge that it's grave matter, but it's not done with full consent of the will, which I don't know how in that case it couldn't be done with full consent of the will if they have the knowledge that it's still sinful. But anyway, setting that aside, uh, you can't sin unless you will it. So it, it would at least still be venial, and I would say the greater sin is that they're not a practicing student of the faith, their faith of baptism like they should be. Does that help you out? Yes, thank you. All right, Lucas, thank you for a great question. God bless you now. Take care. Quickly, we'll head to Mike in Orange Beach, Alabama, another first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Mike, you're on with Father Wade. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have some questions. I, first of all, I was blessed with a wonderful 
sponsor. Uh, I became part of the family with uh, and wonderful, wonderful people. But I'm wondering, is there any uh, requirements or standardized uh, things that a sponsor is required to do by the church? And is there a uh, is being a sponsor for a candidate a requirement by the church, or does the church just request the candidate to have a sponsor? No, it is required for a, a catechumen coming into the faith to have a sponsor, one who is a practicing Catholic themselves, who uh, practices the faith, loves the faith, lives the faith day in and day out, and is an exemplar of the faith for the one that they are serving as the sponsor for. Uh, it is required. If, if one does not have a sponsor, their parish church will assign one to them. Uh, an upright parishioner, for example, will be asked. Let, let's say somebody's coming into the faith who has no uh, support from their Protestant family that they're entering the Catholic faith, so there's nobody they could really ask. Um, the, the parish church will find uh, a sponsor for them within the Catholic faith to stand up for them, and it would be an exemplar individual who lives, loves, and practices their Catholic faith. Uh, great question. Thank you so much, Mike. Really appreciate it. And quickly, we'll head to Kara in Duluth, Minnesota, listening on Real Presence Radio. Kara, just about a minute left with Father Wade. What's your question? Oh, thank you so much. Just a question about this weekend. Um, if logistically, can Catholics receive communion on the Easter Vigil and on Sunday Mass um, Easter? Absolutely. You can receive uh, Holy Communion twice on one calendar day, provided the second time is a full Mass. And the, the scenario you're giving me, one being a vigil on the Saturday and one being on the Sunday at the, at the Easter Day liturgy, that's two separate calendar days. So there's surely no problem there. But if it's the same calendar day, they can receive twice in the same calendar day, provided the second time is a full liturgy. Great question. Thank you so much. Does that help you out, Kara? Yes, that's clear. Thank you. All right, thank you very much. What great calls today, Jack, during this Holy Week. Fabulous calls. So if someone is uh, interested in learning more about the Fathers of Mercy, what can they do? They can go to fathersofmercy.com and read more about our community and also contact our vocation director, Father Ken Geraci, at vocations at fathersofmercy.com. That's the word vocation with an S at the end of it. Vocations at fathersofmercy.com. Would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners, especially during this Holy Week, and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope that you avail yourselves of the great gift the church offers us in the sacred triduum, that four-event event, as Father Wade likes to call it, uh, the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ celebrated in the full. Have a great Easter, and until we get together next week, God bless.